it's that big a deal. But I want to ask you, how is your heart? How is your heart? And I'm not talking about those of you that are on Lipitor or, or whatever, whatever. I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that, uh, that, not that muscle that's in your heart. I'm talking about what the Bible describes as our heart. Because the Bible says that our heart is like, it's our inner person. It's the inner core of who we are. It, the Bible says it's where our thoughts, feelings, it's where our desires, it's where our, our character, our will, and our choices, that all, all that originates from our heart, our most inner being. So it makes sense that who we are and what we do is ultimately determined by the condition of our heart, right? It just, it just makes sense. How we live out our life and who we are at our core depends on what our, what's going on in our heart. Because really, in any given situation, our heart reveals who we really are and determines how we're going to respond to different situations. That's why we're told in Proverbs, many of you know, very familiar verse, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Did you get that? Everything you do flows from your heart. You see, thoughts and actions like, like love and sacrifice and, and caring for other people and, and wanting to be obedient to God if you're a Christian and all these wonderful things, they flow out. They're an outflow of our heart. But unfortunately, so too, because the Bible tells us that we have a heart condition, we literally have a heart condition due to our sinful and fallen nature. Also, there are things like envy and jealousy and, and slander and sexual immorality and even murder. These things come from our hearts. That's what the Bible says. I mean, through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Now, the sick is, this is a sick that's beyond cure. Who can understand it? Who can understand this heart? This is no, I mean, this is no surprise for us to hear, really. We see, I mean, you're, you're probably thinking, oh, no, duh. I see the negative effects of uh, the impact and thoughts of actions of people's hearts all the time. You know, we see, we see it all around us. We've seen it throughout history, and we see it even in our own lives. I know about you, but I, I get so tired of what comes out of my heart so often. I wish it wasn't like it was so often, but I know because the core of who I am comes out of my heart, so they're going to get the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all going to show because that's because of our heart. So it makes sense that because God cares for us so much that he cares about the condition of our heart or the purity, how pure our heart is. It just makes sense. If he cares about us so much, why wouldn't he care about the most important thing about us? And that is our heart. That determines who we are and how we're going to act and how we'll respond. Remember back when we were looking, we were going through the, through the book of Matthew. Remember on the, when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, we read in Matthew 5, 8, it said, blessed or happy are those because they have found divine favor. Blessed are those that are with pure in heart. Blessed are those that are in pure heart because they shall see God. 
Now, pure in heart means to, to have a heart that's without hypocrisy. Okay, that's what it literally means. To be single-minded with an uncompromising desire, above all else, to please God in every area of our life. That's what a pure heart means, okay? And that beatitude that we just read is based on Psalm chapter 2, 24, verses 3 and 4. It says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? This is where that, this is where that parable comes from. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Basically, who will stand before God? Who will be, can be in his presence? Though he who has a clean heart, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. You see, when we are pure in heart, or when having a pure heart is our single-minded desire, when that's what we want the most, it's then and only then that we're really able to recognize God, to recognize what he's doing in our life. If, he's, if we sense that he's working in our life at all, that's the only reason why. It's because we have a pure heart. It's the only way we're going to know his goodness and his grace and his power is when our heart is pure. Those are the things when to stand in God's presence is to know how awesome he is, to know how good he is, to know how forgiving he is, all these things. That's what it means to stand before God. And the Bible tells us the only people that can do that are those that have a pure heart. It's why, it's why after he came to grips uh, with what he had done, remember uh, King David, when after he had had uh, an affair with uh, the uh, my mind just went blank on who she, who she was, uh, Bathsheba, <laughs> thank you, when, uh, when he slept with this Bathsheba and he also had uh, Uriah, his, her, husband's, uh, her husband, murdered. What was the prayer that he had? What, did, what, was, what was the immediate response? Once David really came to recognize what he had actually done, what, was, what did he ask? He said in Psalm 51, he said, create God, please create in me a pure heart. That's exactly where he went first. Create in me a clean or pure heart. That's what I need. So you see, David knew that only by having a pure heart, a single-minded desire to please God in all areas of his life and to be repentant for the areas that he had disobeyed, he, know, he knew that the only way to do that was be able to have a pure heart. The only way he was going to recognize God in his life. So the question is, how can we know that we have a pure heart? How can we know? How can we know that we have a kind of heart that enables us to recognize God's hand in our life and in the lives of those around us? Well, this morning, as we move into chapter 15 in our study through the book of Matthew, we're going to see how Jesus really actually helps us to answer this question. Now, remember, last week, we just saw that Jesus has got done feeding the 5,000 plus people. Remember that? 5,000 people, five loaves, two fish, amazing, amazing miracle. Then we saw right after that, that he walked on the storm. Remember, he walked on the water out to his disciples in that, in that stormy weather and calmed the sea. Okay. We saw last week that these miracles literally scream to everybody, this is God. That's what those miracles were meant to do. This is God. You can't miss it. And he's the kind of God that has compassion for us. And he has the power to do the impossible in and through and for us. 
Now, right after this now, Jesus, so what happens is Jesus and his disciples have now come ashore. Remember, we saw that. They come to this town called Gethsemaret, and to the townspeople, they recognize him right away. They've heard of him. They recognize what he do. And so what they do, they go out, and they get all the sick people. They bring them in from all over the area, and they just beg him to allow them just to touch the fringe of his garment so that they could be healed. And that's where we are. Okay, all this has just happened. All this amazing things have just happened. So here's what we pick. Let's pick it up in chapter 15, first two verses. Let's look at those. It says, then, Pharise- then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So here these guys are, the experts and teachers of the Old Testament law. They come out to check out Jesus. Okay, let's really go see what he's doing, really to scrutinize him, really. And the very first question that they ask them is, how can we know God better? No. They don't ask, tell us more about you. How could, how could you really be who you say you are? Is it really true? Tell us more about who you really are. No. Their question is, why aren't your disciples washing their hands before they eat? Really? Really? After all that just happened, thousands of people are fed out of nowhere. Jesus is walking on the water. People are begging to be fed, be healed. Why aren't your disciples washing their hands before they eat? It really showed exactly where the religious leaders were. It shows exactly their heart and where their heart is. So here's the thing. You need to understand that uh, these guys were not concerned. They were not concerned about hygiene, by the way. This was not their concern as, oh, we hope that they don't get sick because they didn't wash their hands. That wasn't it it at all. Their issue was for ceremonial purity, That's what they were looking after, not dirty hands. These guys were troubled because they felt that Jesus and his disciples were actually breaking the law of not washing your hands before you eat. According to them, this would make you ceremonially unclean. You had to wash your hands. Now, you got to understand, to do something back then that made you ceremonially unclean was really a big deal. This was no small issue for everybody because what happened is if you become what they considered ceremonially unclean, that means that you could not participate just in in the daily life and in worship with God's people. So you had for a time basically kind of sit out and miss out on what was going on because you had to take some time to be clean again. Um, now you can understand uh, why it, it, makes, it would make it so important that they're going to be doing what they do in just a minute here. A person could become unclean through doing all sorts of things. They could do it by eating and drinking unclean foods through bodily conditions, including fluid discharges, or through contact with unclean things or unclean people. You see, some time ago, here's, here's why this happened. A long time ago, when Moses gave the Ten Commandments, he gave, and then further the law, the entire law, he gave all these things to help the people, really what the law, some people think, what is all this? What are these Ten Commandments, and what's this law? What it really was, this was a standard of living that God required of his people because they knew that they were living in a sinful and fallen world. So in order to stay pure and to be his people, this is why, this is how you should live your life. And it was to protect them because he knew what was uh, good for them. Now, what happened is over time, 
Things went well for a while, and especially things went really bad, as you read in like First and Second Kings and how things went terrible, da- terribly downhill for the nation of Israel. And then they were finally conquered, taken away, all, bad, all this bad stuff hap- happening to them. Well, what happened is slowly but surely as they became, become, God was allowing them to come back together then, men started to realize, you know what? The only way this is going to work out, we blew it last time. We royally blew it. Our kings blew it. Everybody was terrible. We better figure out how to obey the Ten Commandments. We better figure out how to do this. So what they do is they started coming up with these oral laws, different things to help people to understand how to better obey the Ten Commandments, okay? They wanted to, they wanted to help them out. And these are what they were considered the traditions of the elders that the, these guys were saying that they had broken, that they had broken the law. Okay, so these were things that were supposed to help people. Okay, these traditional, these these oral laws that they they that they came up with were supposed to help people. Yet instead of what they were originally for, to kind of help the people with, okay, here's a law that God says. How do we interpret that? They came up with some ideas. Here's how to do that. Well, instead of that being helpful for them, what happened is these actual helps and these reasons and these explanations actually became law. These became the things. No, it's all about not helping you to obey the law. It's about making sure you, do, you just do exactly what it says. I don't care what it's in your heart. Just do what it says. That's what they were wanting them to do. They were wanting like, to keep their, uh, their originally set up. The whole idea of laws that God gave was for people to stay pure in their hearts. But what these guys, these religious leaders started to do, they just wanted to make sure that you guys were just obeying the law just to obey the law, okay? It was purely for keeping law's sake, not for having a pure heart. That's it. For these guys, spiritual purity was measured purely by a person's actions, not the state of their heart. This is what had happened throughout time. They were supposed to be helped, but it turned out that this thing became like a, a noose around their neck, Because they just had to obey just for the sake of obeying. Now, the original intent of this law of washing their hands, okay, where did this come from? It was was meant, what it was meant to do was reflect this outward renewal or purity that implied that that they were pure inside. I'm washing my hands, making them clean and pure as a symbol that my heart is pure. That what it was for. And really, it was more for the religious leaders that were going into the temple, the priests and things like that. It was really more for them. The Mosaic law never anywhere prescribed that ritual hand washing for everybody was what needed to happen. That was never anywhere. But see what happened? See what happened to these guys? This was just one of the many examples of where these oral laws went far beyond anything demanded by God's law at all failing to do justice at all to what the requirement of the law was, which was to reflect inward purity. And this is what was happening here. Okay, this is exactly why these guys say this. You guys aren't washing your hands before you eat. We don't care about your heart. We just, you're just breaking the law. Man, can you see how just stifling that is? Terrible. Now, these religious leaders that came out to Jesus, that they weren't concerned at all with how the, these guys possibly breaking the law might impact them spiritually. They, they didn't care about that at all. They were solely concerned that disciples were breaking the traditions of the elders, like it says here. Those man-made rules and regulations. I mean, these guys were the ultimate legalists. The ultimate. You want to know what legalism? This is it right here. 
Don't care what's going on in here. Just make sure you're looking good. That's what they were all about, okay? And this is exactly what Jesus addresses in the rest of our passage. Now he's going to go for him. This, this, that that kind of lays the groundwork of where he's going now. It's not about all this outward stuff. What's going on in here? So now Jesus is going to go forward with it. Here he goes. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. He answers them. He's how, here's what he says to them. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. So here we see Jesus, and instead of directly going, okay, let me tell you why they're not washing their hands. He doesn't go there. What Jesus does, he addresses this overall idea here of spiritual purity or the purity of the heart. See, Jesus is going to go right to it. No pun intended. He's going right to the heart of the matter here. And what he's doing is he's questioning the authority of this tradition of the elders, this oral law, okay? That's, how, that's the basis of what he's going to do it. And the implication here is that these guys were replacing their own religious traditions actually over God's law. These things were more important. Basic, Jesus is basically saying, you should talk. He's saying, you should talk. If it's true that my disciples are breaking these man-made laws, then what you're doing is far worse. It's way worse by breaking God's holy law. And then what he does is he goes in to give them an example. Okay, he gives them an example of one of the laws that really one of the laws that's central and importance to Israel's life. And a lot of times, we'd like to poo-poo this one, especially young people like to poo-poo this law a lot. But God is going to help, Jesus is going to help them understand how they're actually breaking the law and not, him, not them by what they do. Let's look, look, what, he, look what he says. Look what he says. Um, he says to honor, oh, I'm sorry, I already read it, honor your father and your mother. Okay, whoever reviles a father or mother must surely die. So he's talking, he goes right to the commandment, honor your father and your mother. Okay, to honor your father and your mother means more than to simply obey them. Really to honor someone's your mother and your father is meant to be an inner attitude towards your parents. Okay, so maybe you're shifting a little bit here, I can tell. Okay, it's to honor them inside. To honor implies to, to love, to regard highly, to show a spirit of respect and consideration. My, you, you hearing this, son? Okay, good. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, and what he said, this word revile here, to revile one's parents means to speak evil or to be disrespectful to them. Now, this helps us to understand where those whole, why those oral laws and those oral traditions really weren't necessarily a bad thing. Some of them made sense. Because think about it. What does it mean to disrespect your father and your mother? I mean, different people can interpret that different ways. How do you determine if a true person has truly disrespected their parents? I mean, that, you needed to have some help in this. Because remember, what was the penalty in the Old Testament for disrespecting your parents? Death. Death. So I think I'd want to know, wait, wait, Dad, wait, Mom, <laughs> let's check. <laughs> let's make sure what that, really, what that really means. So the oral law wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It just became a bad thing because they made it the law. So we can see how that really did help. Now we see Jesus goes on to show us exactly how the religious leaders had falsely interpreted this very law and why, why they were breaking it, okay? Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, but you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, 
You have made void the word of God. Okay, so here we see what's going on here is Jesus is essentially accusing the religious leaders of undermining the basic principles of the Old Testament law, of this Old Testament law, with a legal device of their own making, their own little law that helped them skirt around this one. You see, what they did is they found a way to get around honoring their parents, especially as their parents got older and to take care of their parents. What they were able to do back then, they were able to claim that they had made this official vow, it was an official thing, that they could dedicate everything they had, their money and their possessions, to as worship to the temple. When they, so when they died, the temple got it. It was God's. It was our gift of worship to God. Okay? It's like, what, it's, here's what's going on. And really, this released them from their obligation. It was like saying, sorry, mom and dad. You know, I'd love to help you out. I'd love to help you out in your old age. But all this money, all this property over here, you know what? We dedicated it to the Lord. We've given it to the temple. It's our form of worship. So when we die, it goes to the Lord. I mean, we get to use it until we die. But, and if there's any left over, you can have it. You understand, right? This is what they were doing. They were taking this law, this oral law that they had that you, could, that you could give stuff and you could commit it to the Lord and you can say it's the temple and no one else can touch it, this law. And then it, they were using it to skirt around being able to honor and take care of, of their parents. This is how they took a man-made law and used it for selfish gain and for manipulation. And this is why Jesus says, for the sake of observing the, these, these laws, that their, their worship is basically void, okay? And basically, they're voiding out God's word. They're putting their traditions above God's word. God's word doesn't mean anything. They've made their, their traditions way more important than God. You see, to the Pharisees and the scribes, worship was a ritual, Okay? Worship was ceremonial law. Worship was something, put it in our context, I come to church, I mouth the words, I say them, I worship God. No impact whatsoever. Or I give my money, I don't think about it, I do it because I'm told to. Someone, I heard a sermon sometime, so, somewhere said, some, someone said 10%, so I said, okay, I'll just, I'll just do that. Darn it. Wish I didn't have to do that. I could really use that money. Basically the same thing. See, to Jesus, though, worship was about a pure heart. It wasn't about ceremony. It wasn't about ritual. It was about a pure heart. So Jesus goes on. Look what he says and really tells the scribes and the Pharisees what they are. Look at verses 7 and 9. It says this, you hypocrites. That must have gone over great. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, because the Pharisees and the scribes are more concerned about outward appearance than the transformation of our heart, Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites. Now, many of you know this word hypocrite. This word hypocrite literally means a stage actor or someone that wears a mask. You see, what they, what's going on is what they're saying 
and what they do don't match what's going on in their heart. It's a total facade. What their, what their actions is nothing. What's going, sorry, what's going on inside um, at all. And, what, and, and he's saying that because of this, because you're a hypocritical mindset, your worship, it's superficial, it's empty, it's absolutely meaningless because it comes from human, interven- human inventions, not from God. This is something you made up. That's not, that's not something that I said. It's something you decided to do. In a real sense, here's what these guys have done. They've taken God out of worshiping God. That's what they've done. They're worshiping God, but not God that we know. They're worshiping a God that tells them, I just do things my way. This is the way it's got to be done. It's a, it's, they're taking him out of it at all. So what are they even really worshiping, actually? They're not worshiping God, actually. They're just going through the motions is what's going on. What they say doesn't match what's going on in their heart. It's just like what Jeremiah, and this is interesting here, this, this uh, quote here is uh, from Isaiah. Isaiah said the same thing about his people. So you can see this, this, this trend is happening again. Same thing is happening. It happened a long time ago. It's happening again. Same thing. You know what they say about history? We've got to be careful because history does repeat itself so often. This was a prophecy that was ha- happened back then. It was prophesied about them. We've got to be careful that it doesn't happen to us as well. Commentator William Hendrickson says this. He says, when the heart is alienated from God, his word is exchanged for merely human traditions. I mean, that's a, we, can, I can, we can go off on that for a long time talking about how that plays out. But now, before we... Uh, Here's the thing. Before we get too critical uh, of these religious leaders and think, man, how could those guys have possibly been that way? They sure, they sure could not see what they were supposed to do. What's wrong with them? We would never do that. I think it's important that we really examine our own hearts in this kind of situation. Um, how, really, think about it. How often do we find ourselves portraying ourselves to others as one thing when on the inside something quite different is playing out, right? Outwardly, outwardly, our ducks are in a row. Things are looking pretty good. But inwardly, we are a mess. We often do that. It's so easy to fall into that trap. And I'm not talking about airing out all our garbage to people all the time, but it's putting on this facade. We sometimes portray ourselves in such a way. Here's an example. At church, hey, good to see you, brother. Good to see you. Everything's everything's going in. But when at home, we're screaming our brains out at our kids. We're fighting with our spouse. We're all this stuff is happening like crazy. See how this same kind of thing can repeat itself out, and it comes once again. So that's why Jesus is more concerned about the heart, because that's where the impact comes, because all gets down to the condition of the heart. All right, so now Jesus, he's done with those guys, okay? He turns to the crowd and most likely tells them probably, hey, come close. I got something really important I want to tell you. You need to listen close, and I want you to ponder this. I want you to understand, because I'm going to tell you something about the heart, I'm going to tell you about how the heart works. Look what he says in verses 10 and 11. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles the person. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes were saying that these unwashed hands, what they do, since they're defiled, they defile the 
They defile the food that a person eats, and therefore, it actually defiles the person. Okay? That's what they're saying. You're defiled because you're not washing your hands, which making you uns- which making you ceremonially unclean. What Jesus is saying here, though, is the opposite is actually true. The opposite is true. It's not what goes into our mouth, but what comes out of our mouth that actually describes who we are. He's going to explain that in a minute. But first, the, there's a this little break here. The disciples privately, you know, he must be done saying that. The disciples come to him with a little concern. Look at verses 12 to 14. He says, then the disciples come and said to, said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? <laughs> yeah, uh, duh. He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. It's fun to kind of see where some of our uh, cultural idioms came from originally, huh? Where these, this, is, this is one of them. So the disciples noticed that the Pharisees and the scribes are a little bit offended at what Jesus said. And no kidding. He just got done calling them hypocrites and telling, him, and telling them that they honor God only with their lips. That's all they're doing. They got nothing more. So, of course, these guys were ticked off. But it's interesting. No surprise on how Jesus responds. <laughs> he basically blows them off. He, he does, he's like, he describes them. What he does, he basically describes them as both plants that are not rooted in God's truth and blind guides. How'd you like that to be described of you? You're a leader. You're supposed to be leading people towards God, but you're accused of being someone who has no roots in the truth of God whatsoever, and you're just like, you're just totally blind, and basically what you're, all you're able to do is basically lead people into a ditch of religious craziness. That's all you're capable of doing. Of course, these guys were offended, and Jesus calls them, you're the blind leading the blind. Wow, what an insult. Now, in order to better understand this whole deal here, in order to understand this, what Jesus was really talking about, and explain, when he explained this thing to them, Peter speaks up for the disciples and says, hey, can we get more of an explanation? Can you give us a little bit more of really what you were talking about here? So look at verses 15 and 16. Uh, Peter says to him, explain the parable to us. And, they, and he said, are you also still without understanding? Jesus is like, Really? Do you still, I mean, all this time you've been with me and you still don't understand some of these basic spiritual truths? So Jesus goes on, explains to him. Look at our, the remainder of our verses here, verses 17 to 20. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying that this defilement or this impurity does not come from what goes into your body. Okay, ultimately, whatever you eat, whatever goes into your body, he says it's going to be eliminated through the body. None of it defiles you. It doesn't defile your heart. If you look in Mark's gospel, he actually says that therefore he, he 
says everything is clean. All food is clean to eat. Now, this had to be wild and crazy for these people. Basically, Jesus is doing, some, doing a really big new thing. He's declaring that all foods are okay to eat. So you can understand why you think that you've been in churches that have some difficulties with, with a doctrine and understanding how to, how to run as a church. Think about the first church is full of Jews that all of a sudden invite Gentiles in. These Jews have lived a lifetime of you don't eat that, you don't eat that hoof thing or that thing, you know, don't touch that, you're summarily unclean, and now the rules have been totally changed. It's like, come on, everybody, come on in, eat what you, eat what you want. Eat what you want. We've declared it clean. You got to understand how that would be hard for people. Those of you that hold on to traditions a lot of times, traditions are great, but traditions can also be the very things that keep people from knowing Jesus. So this is what, this is kind of what, what he's doing here. And he's blowing the doors um, op- open a little bit. Look at the list of the things that he says, because he, he says what comes, it's what comes out of you. It what flows out of your heart. This thing that's the very core of your being, that's what defiles you. That's what makes you impure. And look at these list of things that come out of our heart that defile us or make us impure. Look, he says, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Wow, that's some heavy-duty stuff. The point is, what he's saying here, because first of all, we would say, that's not me. I'm not that, that bad. But what Jesus is saying here is that we may be serving the Lord in some ministry capacity, or we might be giving of our money generously, or we might even be attending a Bible study or going to church as often as we possibly can, even maybe having a regular time with the Lord on a daily basis. And what he's saying is, yet you can be doing all that, yet the condition of your heart can still virtually be unfazed and filthy. Because we can be doing these things purely because on the outside, I'm doing all the things that I know I should do to look like a good Christian, but our heart is just still vile and wretched. I don't know about you, but I've been there before. I've been there before where I know that I was like just kind of the fake it till you make it, and sometimes we got to do that. But I know there's, there's back in, I've had times in my life where I know, okay, God, I've got to, I have got to, I need to be pure in heart. I need to be doing this because I know this is what you've called me to do, and I want to have a pure heart in doing it. It changes our life when we start seeing, seeing things this way. You see, the, the true test of the condition of our heart is what makes its way out of us. Does that make sense? That's the true test of the condition of our heart. And he says here, starting with what comes out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth? Because what we say really is an indication of what's really going on inside our thoughts and imagination, ultimately our heart. Matthew 12, we looked at this a while back. Matthew 12, 34 says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You want to know one indication of what your heart is like? Check what comes out of your mouth. That's one of the, that's one of the ways. What, what's the speech that comes out? How do you talk about people and other things like that? Because the truth is that our external actions reveal our internal condition. Okay? Our words are and our actions are a window into our hearts. I think we try to fake it more than we should. So let me ask you again, how is your heart? 
Do you ever find yourself relying on man-made traditions in order to achieve this righteousness before God? I, just, I know what I should do. I'm just going to do this thing, and, that's, and then, then we're all good. Every, everything is fine. Like going to church, like we talk about going to church, giving, and things like that, which we don't always necessarily feel. I don't know about you. Do you wake up every single Sunday going, church? I know that's not the case. But what they're talking about here is viewing going to church as something that is making me in my standing with God better. Giving that money or giving of my time is what is making my standing with God. That's purifying my heart. See how good I am. No. It's like you might as well just be washing your hands going, okay, this must be doing it. That's not what you're saying. No, don't do that. Or, do, or doing, feel it. sometimes we get into this legalistic thing where you say, you know what? I know my heart is pure because I'm not doing that. Ever find yourself there? I'm not doing that, so my heart must be good. I used to, or I see people doing that. That's not a good thing. I must be pure in heart. Or look what I am doing. Must be pure in heart. See how we fall into this trap? It's very, very easy, and we determine how pure our heart is by our actions, which we should but we don't do them in order to have a pure heart. They're a result of a pure heart. Can you say that the way that you portray yourself to others and, and to God is truly congruent or consist, consistent with what is going on inside of you? These are good questions to ask. I mean, I so desire to maintain an uncompromising desire to, uh, above all, please God in all areas of my life. But I know I fall short because of my heart. I know that I fall short because I have a heart condition, and so do you. A heart condition that tends to lead us and lean towards defilement or towards impurity or to obeying rules in order to have a pure heart heart. So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid this defilement and come to have a pure heart that will really enable us, like we said, enable us to recognize God, to see God's hand in our life and in the lives of others and really be able to hear the voice of God and just hear the Holy Spirit whispering to us? How do we do that? Well, like I said, it's definitely not by washing our hands. Keep washing your hands before dinner. That's a good thing. But that's not what's going to do it. It's definitely not that. It's not by observing man-made rules and regulations. It's not pulling ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps either. I hear that one a lot of times. Just try harder. Try harder not to sin. Try harder to do good. Remember, it's our heart. <laughs> You're still going to struggle with the same stuff no matter how hard you try. The heart has to be changed. It only happens, this only happens as we invite Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to daily renew and purify our hearts. I love that song we used to sing, purify my heart. Remember that one? Was that 90s, 80s, something like that? I want to make my heart like gold. I want my, and precious silver, purify my heart. I want it to be like pure gold. I need to have a pure, I wouldn't ask pure, pure, pure heart if I didn't need it. I'm saved, I'm redeemed, all that, but I still, have a, I still have a sin nature that impacts my heart. And so I, we need to regularly, consistently invite Jesus into that, acknowledging our desperate need for him every single day. Because only the righteousness and, pure, and, and purity of Jesus can make our hearts pure. That's the only thing that can do it. 
That's it. So if we're not getting to know him more, if we're not spending time in his word, if we're not spending time in prayer, if we're not spending time with other believers, letting him speak into our lives, our heart is not going to change. It'll change some, but not much. We have to be seeking Jesus to do the change. Stop feeling like we have to do it on our own. I just got to try harder. I just got to do better. No, your heart needs to change. It needs to be renewed daily, every single day. And speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, I love this. God told his people that after all they were obliterated, like we talked about, they were sent off to all these other countries. After uh, the temple had been destroyed, they'd been conquered and scattered. He said that he was going to bring them back in order to, not because they deserved it, but to glorify his name. He was going to bring them back together to show everybody how great God is. And listen to what God promised to do for them. And it's something that he still promises to do every single day for us. Listen to what he says. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. This needs to breathe the prayer of our heart on a regular basis to recognize that our heart is sick, that we have a heart condition that only Jesus can remedy. He's way better than Lipitor. Only Jesus, and we need to invite that on a regular basis. We need to be this, make this our prayer. I want to encourage you this week to make this your prayer, to invite Jesus to renew your heart on a daily basis as you spend time with him, to fully trust and accept his new mercies that he gives us every single morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that... We don't have to rely on our own wisdom, our own skills to have the kind of heart that allows us to truly see you and be able to stand before you, recognize your great work in our lives. Thank you. That's the power and the love and the grace of Jesus. May we be people that seek Jesus' face every day. May we recognize our desperate need for you, Jesus, to renew our hearts and to make them pure before you. We pray it all in your name. Amen.